Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Welcome to Opera Box Score. I'm your host, George Cedarquist. Wherever you are, however you're listening, thanks for joining us. We are America's talk radio show about opera, period. No one talks with you about opera week in, week out like we do. And what's more, on our show, you get to have your say live on the air. Call us on 847-866-WNUR. That's 847-866-9687. Or you can leave us a message on 224-218-9BOX. Again, 224-218-9269. You get to sound off on our Chalk Talk segment. You get to show off by taking our opera pop quiz, and you get to piss people off by handing out letter grades to review a performance you've seen in our Monday evening quarterback segment. Now, tonight's show is the second part of a double header. Last week on our podcast, we were joined by the world-famous tenor Matthew Polanzani. If you're listening to this show live now, we're going to post last week's podcast later tonight. And if you're listening to this live show as a podcast, be sure to go back an episode to catch everything Matthew had to say. Now, on that same show last week, we tackled a recent article by composer Mark Adamo in which he responded to a question from one of his undergraduate students about the ways in which opera was alive today. Tonight, we take that conversation and invert it. In what ways are undergraduate students alive for opera? How does undergraduate voice training prepare singers for careers in opera, if at all? And I'm going to talk with my co-hosts, Tobias Wright and Giovanna Jacques, about their experiences in school, get their hot takes on what they wanted more and less of when they were in undergrad and grad school. Plus, in 10 minutes, I've got all your opera headlines, and at the bottom of the hour, Oliver challenges Tobias and Giovanna, as well as you, our listeners, in a gender-bending pop quiz. You're going to have to guess the gender of five vocally androgynous singers who currently specialize in the virtuosic repertoire of the 18th century castrato. And you're going to have to listen carefully because you don't get to see which bathroom they step into. Let's do this. We're live. No edits, no filters. Kickoff is next. Keep it locked right here, right now on WNUR 89.3 FM Evanston, Chicago and Opera Box Score. Listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, and Giovanna Jacques. And here we are on Opera Box Score, 89.3 FM, Evanston, Chicago. George Cedarquist here hosting the show tonight. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Tobias Wright. Good to be here. I uh, smell a little bit like wet dog after being rained on <laughs> on the train to the station. Uh, Giovanna Jacques, are you soaking wet? 
am soaked. I, but it's fine. I'll I'm just you. shivering here in my corner. Oh my god. <laughs> it is it's dreadful out there. It's just I, I I was hoping for some really nice weather and we got it yesterday, you know, I was outside with the kids and then today was nasty. So Chicago doesn't want spring to stay yet. <laughs> spring in Chicago is literally like ten days. <laughs> yeah, it's the most bipolar season for sure. Yes, exactly. Uh, as I said in the intro, doubleheader show tonight. We're going to get the podcast up from last night. I was sick as a dog last week, by the way. Aw, poor George. I had this dreadful sinus infection, and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on that, but it was not fun, and it got in the way of getting up that awesome interview with Matthew Polanzani. Mm. Wow. Yeah, cool. we uh, outkicked our coverage a little bit with that one, I think. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, but look, let's let's continue with that same thread, which was about this undergraduate girl had asked this question to Mark Adamo, the mm-hmm. composer, saying, you know, is opera alive? And he gave this very sort of, I don't know. What so she, she said, is it, is it alive? Is it mutating? Is it dying? Is it growing? I, yeah. And, and I had the same question for undergraduates and graduate students. Are you guys alive? Are you mutating? I'm, uh, <laughs> I've taught a lot of undergrad and grad students. I'm teaching some right now. Some listen to the show. But Tobias, I wanted to throw this over to you to start off with. Uh, you've been through undergrad. You were at the University of Kansas. You've done grad school here at Northwestern. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what did you spend most of your time doing in those programs? Well, I would say, you know, my undergraduate, um, that there is so much time spent at the beginning of my undergraduate degree uh, on learning the fundamentals of music, on doing music history, doing music theory, which I still to this day don't know how I passed all that stuff. But oh, I yeah, did. it was I must have been <laughs> drugged or something because I don't yeah. know how I made it through that. <laughs> it was 8 a.m. every single day for me in my, in my first two years of my undergrad at the University of Kansas. And I had a wonderful um uh, professors and friends who let me copy their work and stuff like that. But, um, you know, so it's more of an intensive, uh, fundamental establishment. I think that happens as an undergraduate singer, um, with less focus on actual, I would say music making. Mm-hmm. How much time did you spend like actually performing? You know, for example, I'm teaching this class right now. It's called opera workshop. Uh, undergraduate and graduate students listening to the show will know that term, but how would you explain it, Tobias? Uh, opera workshop. I think, you know, in, interestingly enough, in my undergrad, we didn't have opera workshop. So first to answer your question, how much time did I spend performing? And as an undergrad, uh, well, zero, okay. zero, <laughs> right. And really? So I actually, well, I was fortunate enough to be fun, fun fact about me. The first opera that I ever saw was the first opera that I was in. Um, and that was my junior year. And that was, Patience by Gilbert and Sullivan. Okay, so it was an operetta. So you didn't even like have performance opportunities like in diction in front of the class or a recital or showcases or things like that? Well, yeah, you know, we got to do uh, studio recitals with my voice professor where we would, you know, at the end of the semester, everyone get up, sing a song, everyone from the studio in a recital setting. Um, and, you know, there were some performances in diction, but uh, as far as stage time, very minimal. Wow. But opera workshop, I think, is a wonderful thing. Um, yeah, we didn't have that in my undergraduate, an opera workshop class. And that's where you spend time with an opera director. You learn about uh, forming um, a character and then learning what the show is about. You know, oftentimes with opera workshop, and George, you can attest to this, it's more scene work. So you're you're isolating a certain moment from a show rather than learning and overwhelming, I think, a, mm-hmm. a younger uh, musician with an entire show, you're isolating that moment and then uh, performing that. Is that 
what you would say opera workshop was for you? I don't know how you teach because you're a mad genius. <laughs> well, it's very kind of you. I mean, certainly as a teacher, I, I think it, it's supposed to be like rolling up your sleeves. It's about process. It's not about the final result. I mean, you do present the scenes of an opera workshop to your colleagues, I right. suppose. But it's pretty informal. It's really more about like let's learn some skills and then let's apply them to this little piece of text and music as kind of a um example i suppose yeah did you have opera workshop in your undergrad oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. we called it opera scenes i okay. i would have been your teacher i think of you this would class. have yes yeah. but we had uh, lauren meeker who was wonderful and harry silverstein sure yeah mm. absolutely so then in terms of performance opportunities and like uh full productions tobias what was what was out there for you in undergrad and grad well, in undergrad, uh, you know, you're certainly encouraged to audition, and oftentimes, so the University of Kansas didn't really have a big performance space for their operas. They had a black box and then a small little recital hall, so they weren't they they didn't do large scale shows, but they did have directors who were wonderful and creative, and I think that was really cool to be a part of that. So, I did audition for the shows, you know, and I was in Patience, and it was directed by John Stevens. Uh, who's the head of the voice department there at the University of Kansas, and uh, had an amazing career, um, sang New York City Opera, the Met, and places like that. Just an awesome, awesome, wonderful man who really cared about educating his students. And um, so I did the shows as a chorus um, member, and then a lot of the other performance opportunities I had were through choir, and I got to tour with a choir um, and do stuff like that, but not a lot of solo exploration, which probably was to the benefit of everyone involved in my life at that point. So then how did you take the next step from, uh, well, because you went from undergrad to grad, Mm -hmm. the next step from grad school into, you know, quote, sort of the so-called real world? Like, did undergraduate training, graduate training really provide you for that? Or is there something else that you could have done instead? Well, okay. So I go back and forth on this because uh, there are days I think that I find myself being a little bit disgruntled about my experience in graduate school and I, you know, having done professional performances and had contracts where I got paid money, I realized, holy crap, nobody taught me anything about being a professional singer, Mm -hmm. period. Um, it was, it was not, and still is not part of your education. That being said, I don't think I could be a professional singer if I didn't know or have some idea of why and how I was doing what you know, I'm doing. So what did you feel like you learned on the fly and that, you know, Northwestern or Kansas didn't teach you? Um, I think the the rehearsal process at a professional company Mm -hmm. is so different than the rehearsal process at a university. Mm -hmm. Uh, The audition process is so different in a professional setting than it is at a university. Okay. Um, All the interactions with directors change, with your colleagues change. Um, and I know, I mean, you can touch on this too, having done stuff. I, I just feel like you get out in the real world as a singer and you're like, well, I wish that I wouldn't have studied for five hours for that music theory exam. I wish I would have read a, a biography or watched um, a YouTube video of these singers singing these roles. I wish I would have read more about the actual craft of singing and read more about the actual art of performing because there's so much wonderful literature out there where people tell you and talk about it because they've done it. And I don't feel like I learned much about that in either my undergraduate um, or my graduate training. And it really is frustrating because you get out there and you're like, crap, I mean, uh, you are learning on the fly. 
Yeah. Um, that's and that's not an indictment of either of the institutions because they're great schools. Mm-hmm. And I learned a ton. And I have the debt to prove that. But is yeah. there any real replacement out there, I guess, is the question. Is like you go to undergrad. Everyone should go to undergrad. They should all get a four-year bachelor's in something. Yes, some of us go on to graduate school. Some of us don't. That's perhaps less important. But in terms of this opera singing business, mm-hmm. is there really any substitute to, to going to graduate school? Or is it basically a must? Um I think that's such a that's such a big argument. Well, but I'm gonna. I think I have a a pretty good idea. Okay. Why did Shoot. I go to grad school? It's for I, meeting girls. <laughs> yeah, that worked. How did that work out for you? Real well. <laughs> yeah, you spent, now you spend every Monday night hitting on Giovanna. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Are you yeah. still celibate? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we're off the air. <laughs> um, okay, I lost my train of thought when we you brought said, up You said, "Why did I go to grad school? Why did I go to grad school? I went to grad school because I didn't know what else to do." Um, and I think, that's not much of a reason, to right? It, and you are so right about that, George. And so many other singers do the same thing, and that's what drives me nuts about the United States and what we do with the academic system with musicians. I at least singers, and I know so many singers who dream about being a singer, and they're not sure what the next step is. But everyone else says the next step or the majority of people say the next step is to go to grad school. So why did I go to grad school? Because everybody told me I should go to grad school. It's funny because it, every person that I've talked to, every single singer has regretted going to grad school. For every voice. one of them. Every single one of them. Mm-hmm. And I tried two years in a row before it dawned, in, dawned on me that, wait, Giovanna, you're not cut out for this. Like, don't waste, don't waste your time. Mm-hmm. Don't do this. And it's, and it's, it's such a, you know, you're taught, you're just, you're taught like, oh, this is the next step. Like, where's your grad school going to be? Where's your... First young artist program going to be, you know? Well, and I think of it, okay, since we like to model opera box score after uh, a sports talk radio, Mm -hmm. if we're going to equate this to sports, the NBA, as you know, has an age limit. Right. Um, It's not a number, but it is a you have to be removed from high school for at least a year, I believe, or two years. Right. Um, And so who does that benefit? Does it benefit the basketball players? Or does it benefit the NBA? Well, it benefits the NBA because they're a business and it gives them a holding place for those people who are going to be joining their business, the league, and it gives them a place to where they can evaluate before they make a decision on whether or not to invest in that person, okay? And with singers going to grad school, if you think about it, they're just incubating for all these young artist programs um, and then professional companies. Um, That's the holding place. That is... But the problem is there are too many singers in grad school. And there are and too many basketball players who want to go to the NBA. Yeah. Um, Tobias, that is probably the most intelligent thing I think I've ever heard you say on this show. I'm going to cut you off so you don't screw it up. <laughs> You're listening to WNUR 89.3 FM, Evanston, Chicago. We're streaming live at WNUR.org slash papas. Pop up, excuse me. Uh, no, you're right. Pop us. <laughs> feel free to uh, give us a call as well here in the studio, 847-866-WNUR. It's also 847-866-9687. Right now, time for the two-minute drill. This just in, the two-minute drill. Time for the fastest headlines in opera news. Everything you need to know from the past week in two minutes tops. 
Last Saturday afternoon, James Levine conducted his final performance in the orchestra pit as music director of the Metropolitan Opera, the position he was appointed to in 1976. The production was Mozart's Die Entführung aus dem Serail. Calixto Biedo, the controversial Catalan director, will direct for the first time in the U.S. later this month. He brings his production of Bizet's Carmen to San Francisco and his production of Verdi's La Forza del Destino to the Met in 2017-18. The San Francisco Press has written that the Carmen production is important, quote, not just because it's a violent, sexy production. It's the possibility of a different approach to opera, an approach that will help opera survive as a relevant medium by combining stunning old scores with modern social commentary. Back in New York, the Met projects that it will take in only two-thirds of its potential box office income in the season that just ended. It's the lowest percentage on record, raising questions about how the organization is grappling with the significant challenges of mounting opera in the 21st century. Twenty years ago, the Met was earning more than 90% of its potential box office revenue. Over to Asia, where the China National Opera has named Yang Yang, who is 43, as its next music director. He succeeds Yu Feng, who is now the rector of the Central Conservatory of Music. And following up on our story from last week, the Met has released Sonia Yancheva from the role of Mimi in its production of Puccini's La Boheme so that she can sing Norma by uh, Bellini at the Royal Opera House in London in September. And that's in place of Anna Netrebko, who says her voice is unsuited to the role. That's the two-minute drill. So, my friends, what is uh, of interest there to you? Maybe Giovanna Jacques will start with you. Yeah, tell me, how is this Carmen going to be different? Well, do the, we know? Yeah, the production is set in uh, Franco's Spain. Uh, and look, this production itself, he, I mean, he did this thing like 15 years ago. It just goes to show like how far behind this country that we live in is in terms of like truly interesting artistic interpretations of opera. This is like the most boring thing Calixto Bieto has ever done, which is like, you know, there's a Mercedes Benz on stage and people are being raped on top of it. And, you know, there's blood everywhere. And I, I just, it amazes me that it has taken this long to get this guy's work into this country because he is such an important director. Are you a supporter of it? Do you like it? I, d- I do. I think he's a fantastic director. Uh, I, I, again, it, it, he should have been directing here a lot sooner, a lot, lot sooner. And, uh, I mean, I'm boy, you know, if I won the lotto, I would be flying to San Francisco on the next flight to see this show. And right. I might actually try and go see the... Um, the Forza del Destino at the Met in a couple years. That would be really, that would be pretty sweet. I'd be interested to see the, the Forza too. It does, it's a show that doesn't get done a lot. And so no. to see a new production of it, eh, well, to see any production of it, that's pretty exciting. Uh, George, really quick. Yes. I want you to reread to us your note about China. Okay. Because I mispronounced somebody's no, name. No, no. Just reread it, George. Over to Asia, where the China National Opera has named Yang Yang, who's 43, as its next music director. Okay. He succeeds Yu Fong. That's all I wanted to hear. Yang <laughs> Yang and Yu Fong. Okay. Oh, my God, Toby. <laughs> Dude. I, unbelievable. Giovanna, did you have anything else you wanted to say? Yeah, about the I, I do. Drill? Um, I just think... You know, we covered the whole James Levine stepping down from the Met, um, what was it, three or four weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of bringing it back to that story that this is this is his final performance. And I wonder now if the mentalities have changed about him stepping down, if people have 
kind of come to terms with it or if there are some new rumors that have come out. Um, it's just very interesting. You know, we speculated a few weeks ago and here he is actually actually stepping down. Yeah. And without a really – there hasn't been a huge fan there fair, hasn't. farewell tour yeah. type uh, the silence has been deafening. Yeah, I think so. I really agree with that, Which, and that's kind of sad. Yeah, but I it wonder makes if there's wonder. there's more under you know the ne- underneath the surface of him rather than the, the Met as other an other thing that was sad was that because he's wheelchair bound at least at the podium is that like there was this huge standing ovation for him, but he he can't get from the pit up onto the stage, and so everyone stood up to applaud him, and then nobody could see him. Mm. Aww. It was this odd there's sort some, of... There's some symbolism in there. I, I, yeah. I guess so. As to the ending, and that's yeah. sad. We're going to take a short little break. We'll come right back, and we'll get Tobias's hot take on the two-minute drill. Uh, also got the pop quiz coming up. Oh, uh, Oliver gave me all the materials for it. Um, he's he's um, slaving over a hot desk somewhere, I think. It is job we job. We hope it's a hot desk. Um, but uh, <laughs> let me just tell you, He's this, is, this is this is a tough this is a tough quiz. So uh, okay, go, George, keep your wits about. All you. right, George. You're listening to Opera Box Score. American politics. To learn more, visit www.publiccampaign.org. That's P-U-B-L-I-C-A-M-P-A-I-G-N. This message brought to you by WNUR. Rainbow House is a Chicago-based organization providing domestic violence intervention and prevention services to Chicago area residents. Its five programs include a 24-hour crisis line, residential services, children's program, community resource services, and domestic violence prevention and education program. Rainbow House has sites in the Lawndale, Little Village, and Morgan Park areas of Chicago. For more information, go to www.rainbowhouse.org. That's rainbow-house.org. This message brought to you by WNUR. Three tours driving Humvees in Afghanistan. Twelve years flying choppers. When my sister came back from her last tour in Afghanistan, she didn't want to talk about it, but she knew I was there to listen. Sometimes my husband still has difficult memories. They can be overwhelming. With the Veterans Crisis Line, I know where to turn when we need support. I made the call and got support for my sister. The Veterans Crisis Line is here for all veterans and their loved ones. Call 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. My name is Sue Smith. I'm 38 and I work at a graphic design company. And the teenage me would tell you, I wouldn't be into drawing and art if it wasn't for Big Brothers Big Sisters. My big sister showed me early on that I could do anything. And to the young me, that meant a lot. My big sister's name is Sheila, and Sheila is a reason that this 8-year-old grows up to have an amazing job as a graphic designer. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. You're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, and Giovanna Jacques. Pop quiz. 
Oh boy. Oh boy, indeed. Uh, Oliver is not in the house tonight, um, but uh, he has put together this this pop quiz. And so here's how it works. He's picked five excerpts of music, all from the 18th century repertoire of the castrato. Oh, boy. Which uh, Do we know what a castrato is, George? Yeah. How would you explain it, Giovanna? Well, a castrato, <laughs> way back in the day, <laughs> was uh, a eunuch singer. So that means that there's no wee-wee. Um, and today, it's more of a... A castrato is really a countertenor, and it's, so it's a, a male voice that it has a really incredible falsetto But like range. back in the day, those guys were rock stars. Oh, yeah. They were like the king. I think it's kind of hard for us to comprehend because we don't go around making that decision for people uh, yeah. <laughs> anymore. I think we all want to keep our wieners. Except for Oliver. I think he'd prefer to be a castrato. Yeah. Here's how he <laughs> set up the pop quiz. Take a listen to this. Fresh off of the critical success of the Haymarket Opera Company's La Calisto, I'm thinking a lot about singers who specialize in this early repertoire, namely from the 17th and 18th centuries, and mostly Italian music, uh, where we had this voice type called the castrato. The music of the castrato these days is performed by countertenors and by contraltos, and we seem to be in a resurgence of this voice type. There are amazing singers on the scene right now who really confuse the ear with their ability to sing very high and very low. Uh, tone quality is very androgynous. And I think it's a really interesting quiz to hear five of these singers who are on the scene right now. We don't see them much around Chicago. Chicago Opera Theater used to do uh, Handel, and they even did a Cavalli opera a few years ago. But the new uh, artistic vision for Andreas Mitasek and Chicago Opera Theater is not necessarily to do this 17th and 18th century opera. Haymarket Opera Company is getting in the game. If you want to hear these singers, you might have to go to Canada or Boston Early Music Festival. Uh, there's some interesting things happening in Texas, of all places. And I'm sure there's other local opera companies that uh, are producing this style of opera. But uh, most of this renaissance is happening currently in Europe, especially in Italy and in France. So we're going to hear five different singers today, all who are currently on the scene. Um, they're all different nationalities, and there are uh, two voice types that we'll be listening to, uh, contraltos and countertenors. Since there are five excerpts, there's a possible uh, 15 points. One point if you guess the gender, one point if you guess the name of the singer, and an extra point if you can name that aria or the work it comes from. So a possible 15 points for this quiz. The first singer. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, I feel like Oliver should join Mensa. <laughs> uh, These are so incredibly complicated. Yeah, can we just talk about something? I, I know that in the history of our show, I'm undefeated in the pop quizzes. Okay. But I think that ends today. We'll see. So just to recap here, five rounds, you and... Uh, Giovanna. Her name is Giovanna. Well, I, <laughs> okay, George. Giovanna. I wasn't pointing wow. at either of you, actually. Um, you guys are going to go head to head. And in each round, you need to identify three things. The gender of the singer, the name of the singer, and the piece that it's from. And then I'll start dishing out some points. So get those listening ears on, you two. And here comes the first clip. Fresh off of the critical success of the Haymarket Opera Companies is what I would be saying if I hit the correct button. Try this. 
a point if we guess the composer but not the piece um no i'm gonna give you a whole point if you if you get the composer okay yeah uh well why don't you go first javana what do you what that do you was got? definitely a male singer definitely a countertenor okay so um, you're saying it was a dude that's a man baby <laughs> uh okay so you think it was a guy who who do you think it was I want to say Philippe Jaworski, but I'm not going to say Philippe Jaworski, and I'm going to pass on that question and say that it's Handel. Okay. Uh, Tobias, what do you got? Uh, definitely a man. And you know what was cool? I don't listen to a whole lot of countertenor stuff, uh, but that was pretty impressive. It was, a, was, it, was yeah. impressive. it was a man, and I think it's really uh, – you can tell that pretty clearly in the lower registers, mm-hmm. um, especially at the end. Obviously, he was in his chest there, and that was you know for effect, but – uh, you can tell, I think, the different timbre that it takes you, it, in extending the head voice down the way with the man. But it's so impressive. And I have no idea who it was, but I'll say handle too, just so if we're both right, we tie. All right. Well, um, <laughs> Oliver is going to reveal it for you right now. That was the aria Or La Tromba from Handel's Rinaldo, sung live in concert by Cecilia Bartoli Soundalike. Italian countertenor Franco Fagioli. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay, okay. That was that was mean too. You thought it was going to be Cecilia Bartley, right? Just, I actually thought of that at the yeah, beginning. I yeah. was like, mm. "Isn't Franco Fagioli? Isn't Fagioli? Isn't that green beans in Italian?" <laughs> Fagioli. Uh, Fagioli. I think that's green beans. Must be Italian. All right, so you guys, you guys got two. So we got we got tied. Yeah, that was two pretty points impressive. each. Okay, yeah. though I went first, so I have to fully admit I. Thank God that you went first. <laughs> All right, well, keep listening to the second track, and, and we'll make uh, Tobias go first. Here we go. Vendetta farà. Al 
All right. Can I just say, first of all, man, I never thought I would say this. Baroque music can really make a person hot. I mean, just like the drive of that music is so exciting. It's it's actually pretty. Do you mean attractive hot? Or like, like are, are you, you attracted to the singer or are you physically warm? Not, I mean, I'm like passionate. I'm like, I was, oh. I was like. of passion. No, I will say this actually, yeah. George. I really agree with you. There was a young lady in my master's degree who was very good at this kind of music. And every time she would sing, I just, my mouth would just be wide open. I'm like, oh my gosh, let me touch you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, that was a woman. Okay. For sure it was For a woman. For sure a woman. I say woman too. Um, okay. And uh, and what was her? If you think it's a woman, what was her no name? No idea. Okay. Couldn't even tell you. Yeah. Devana. Uh, any, any? Wait. Can I guess composer? You can guess composer. Yeah. Monteverdi. Damn it. Okay. So then, Giovanna, um, uh, artist. Any any idea on the artist? Uh, Marie Nicole Lemieux. I'm gonna say. But okay. clearly that's wrong because you have no. You looked at me like you had no idea what I was talking about, and you have the sheet in front of you. Okay, and I then, also think it's Monteverdi. Okay, uh, well, I did actually. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let, I'm gonna let Oliver let us let us know. From Act Two of Handel's Julius Caesar, we heard a studio recording of Canadian contralto Marie Nicole Lemieux. Oh snap! Under the direction of Alan Curtis and his Il Complesso Barocco. She is my favorite singer in the world. That's why I recognize her. I am really impressed that you got that. And I'm totally dumbfounded that neither of you guys knew that was Giulio Cesare. Yeah, because so many people do Giulio Cesare. I've seen it so many times. Everybody does. Are Are you being sarcastic? Yes. <laughs> Dude, everybody does Giulio Cesare. What are you talking about? I don't about? know. Giulio Cesare, I saw it once and I was like, I kept never again. I honestly, I don't know that I've ever even had an opportunity to go see it anymore. Guys, Tobias, you know, when I was in Frankfurt last no, night. Oh, here we go. I saw Giulio Cesare in an incredible production. When I was in Frankfurt. <laughs> You know, we talked about okay, Spain Okay, I feel earlier. like because I got the name of the singer, I get two points. No. Three points. I mean. No. Okay, no. so I get two. Tobias gets one. So as of now, I've got four. He's got three. Uh, this is correct. And you, both of you get to listen to the next clip. All right, so we should 
throw it back to Giovanna to go first. On wait, this wait, one. wait, 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 wait. No, is this no, the last one? No, this there's is the one third. more after that. There's, there's two more after this. Oh, oh there are oh, five rounds. Gosh. Yeah, five okay. Rounds. I think it's a man. I think it's Philippe Jarouski, and I think it's Handel. Okay, over to you, Tobias. I'm gonna. I agree. That's oh, exactly what Toby, I. That's not fair. <laughs> you can, he can. No, no, no. Hey, okay, wait okay. a second, Giovanna. He can no, say whatever he wants. No, because I actually don't know. I definitely think it's a man. I have no idea who it is, and I have no idea what the piece is. Okay, well, See, this pathetic. Okay, no, wait, wait, wait. Back to our chalk talk. Maybe. Chalk talk. <laughs> are you serious right now? Are you serious right now? Back to our chalk talk. Maybe this is where grad school can really help a person out because clearly I have no interest in Baroque music, so I've never taken the time to study yeah, it. Yeah, but I, you went to grad school and you still don't know this stuff. Right. And but I, I didn't as go. An, as an alum, and I still don't know What this I'm stuff. saying is I could have learned. Oh, God. I could have learned it at some point. Okay. Well, we're going to let I'm having hot Oliver <laughs> reveal all the details, and I'm going to leave your mics on so that you can, if you have to, if you react in some way, we'll, we'll catch it. Let's see what he says. Oliver? From the complete recording of Vivaldi's La Verità in Cimento, conducted by Jean-Christophe Spinozzi and his ensemble Matthäus, you heard French contralto Nathalie Stutzmann. Whoa. Wow. Huh. Yeah. Why did you think it was a man? Because I knew it was Spinozzi who conducted, because I could tell. I was certain it was Handel, and Philippe Jarouski plays with Spinozzi all the time. He and Marie-Nicole wow. Lemieux. And, 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 and I'm, well, I'm, really, I'm, I'm really disappointed in myself. Uh, well, I I'll tell you right now, if, if it comes down to a tie at the end of this, it, the balance is going to go to you, Giovanna, for all that information. Well, La Verita yeah, in Cimento, that good old chestnut... <laughs> Uh, moving quickly on to the, we got time to do the fourth round here before the break. Um, let's see here. Good old chestnut. Here's here's what we can do. We can play. We'll play. We'll play the clip for the fourth round, and then we'll take our break. So listen closely. Sounds good. Listening to Opera Box Score. I'm Dr. Linda Van Eldick, a biomedical scientist supported by the American Health Assistance Foundation. I conduct research aimed at discovering new and effective treatments for Alzheimer's disease. This is critical because more than a thousand Americans develop Alzheimer's every day. At our website, you can learn how to live with or care for someone with the disease. 
Call 1-800-437-2423 or go to ahaf.org for a free brochure on understanding Alzheimer's disease. Is that a faucet running? That's not a faucet. That's a river rushing through the forest. Forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum. That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. I didn't know the trees were so amazing. Yep, and the forest gives us shade, trees to climb. That's awesome. Let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. You can always come up with an excuse for not visiting longtermcare.gov. Oh, I forgot. Game night. After all, who wants to admit that one day they will be, you know, old? Hey, do you see any crow's feet on this face? I don't. But since 70% of older Americans need some kind of long-term care, why not do some free planning now so you can stay in charge? Visit longtermcare.gov and find your own path forward. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score, America's talk radio show about opera. Now I hear you saying opera ain't your thing, but get this. We tackle everything about opera and body slam it into a sports radio setup. The result? 60 minutes of in-depth analysis, outrageous opinions, and good, clean fun. You might even learn something. Opera class, sports radio crass. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR. You're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, and Giovanna Jacques. Pop quiz. Oh, boy. And we are back on WNUR 89.3 FM, Evanston, Chicago. George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Thanks so much for joining us on this kind of nasty Monday night. Uh, Tobias Wright. To my right in the studio. That is where I am, and it's where I'll be. And I kept my pants on. I'll show. <laughs> Giovanna Jacques. Not the end. Uh, Agush, I guess, as they Agush. would say. Um, we are in the middle of this uh, pop quiz set up by Oliver Camacho. And um, let's just double check the scores here, by the way. It is four to three, and we are wrapping up the. The fourth round. So um, we're going to start with Tobias. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. listen to the clip. Tell us what you think. All right. So that, to me, sounded like a man. Um, and again, I think where I can really hear the difference, and the reason I think it's a man, is a, it's a control thing on, on the, in the lower register. So I think it's a man. I have no idea who the singer is. And the orchestration changed. So it sounded more bel canto to me. Um, and I'm going to say that it was the opera was La Donna. Uh, Del Lago. And I'm going to say Rossini. Okay, dude. Uh, <laughs> uh, what does that mean? <laughs> well, I just, I didn't know that the castrata was still around in Rossini's day, like in the early 1800s. I, I'm just so. shooting in the dark. Anyway, you said it was a dude? Yes. Okay, Giovanna. I think it was a woman, but okay. I don't know who. Yeah. And I think it was Mozart. <laughs> well, that that would be before Rossini. So uh, let's turn it over to Oliver and see what he has to say. Rossini's La Donna del Lago, Malcolm's aria Mura Felici, sung by Croatian countertenor wow. Max Emanuel Cencic. Good job, Toby. Thank you, master's degree. 
Dang. Okay, man. Uh, well, that was two points for you that after a, a, a abysmal third round. So Tobias pulls ahead by a single point here, five to four. It's you gonna might just be undefeated again. It's going to come down to this last round. I'm going to step out of the way and let us take a listen to this. I'm ready. Wait, 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 Giovanna. What? Sing that. Sing that note. Oh, oh. I can't even. I can't even. <laughs> it, it's it's singers. It's things like that that give opera a bad name. I know that was so exaggerated. <laughs> but oh like, that was Lord. like the longest note ever. I think it's Philippe Jaworski. I think it's Vivaldi. And I don't. And Philippe Jaworski is a man. Okay, so you're, so you're saying, you're saying all I'm saying is that if Oliver Camacho did not put Philippe Jaworski on this quiz, I quit the band. Right, we'll take away his gay card. I don't want you to quit the band, and I don't want Oliver's gay card to be taken away. All so right. keep the family together. I think it's a man, and I literally have no idea about anything else. Okay, yeah, <laughs> dude looks like a lady. <laughs> it, it is a dude. It's it's uh, David Hansen, as a matter of fact. Uh, from this is an art. Well, I want to come back. I'm stepping. I'm stepping on on Oliver's toes here. Let 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 him do it. That was from the aria "Son Qual Nave," composed by Riccardo Broschi for Broschi's famous castrato brother Fadinelli, performed by Australian countertenor David Hansen. What this comes from David Hansen's yeah. record called "Rivals." Yeah, okay. A collection of arias composed for famous castrati, Farinelli, Caffarelli, Carestini, Beranaki, and others um, on the Deutsche Harmonia Mundi label, conducted by mm-hmm. Alessandro De Marchi and his Academia Montis Regalis. Great. Just, don't be bitter. I'm Just so bitter. How do you not put Philippe Jarowski, who's the best countertenor of all time, on the pop quiz about countertenors. Hey, wait. I have a I was question. banking on that. I have a question about this countertenor quiz. Tobias. Who won? Uh, well, okay, it was Toby. it was Tobias. It was six to five. Okay, Remember, however, that Giovanna had that one round where she she totally rocked it. And you and she asked for extra points and you said you wouldn't do it. I, no, I didn't. That was the I round said before. That, I said that if it was <laughs> a tie, I, w- I would make her the winner because of that. And, and But I won by a point. It's It's true. Javon, if there's anything I could have done to help you, now that you need my help, I would have done it. Thanks to Oliver Camacho for putting that together. Remember that if you want to play on our pop quiz, very easy. Just leave us a voicemail. The number 224-2189-BOX. Again, 224 224- 
218-928-9269. We're going to start handing out some free opera tickets, I think, to people who call in. Yes. Yeah. And who compete on this show. You can also uh, send us an email, operaboxscore at gmail.com. Let's take one little break, and then we'll come back and uh, do some more Chalk Talk. We'll be right back. You're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, and Giovanna Jacques. Well, the box score was uh, close for Tobias and Giovanna on the pop quiz. Uh, I want to throw it over to you now, Giovanna, to go back to our Chalk Talk segment about undergrad and graduate training and really the, the purpose of it all. Tell us about you know your experience as an undergrad. What did you do mostly <clears throat> with your time? Actually, I was really fortunate at DePaul to perform quite a bit as a solo singer. Um, I did. So you were just better than Toby. <laughs> no, 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 That's no, no, actually no. what I was going to say. No, not so at all. So you were talented. I think I just got on the director's good side. Oh, boy. Here we go. And ended up just performing quite a bit. No, it's very... We all know how tr- that happens. But it's very... Okay. That's disgusting. That did no, not happen. No, you buy them coffee and things. I don't know what you're getting at. Okay. <laughs> Anyhow, I will say this. I think that DePaul, as an undergrad, actually did prepare me quite well. For the for the post operatic world, I mean post um, undergraduate world, hmm. I think the operatic world is just like there are so many singers in these schools, and then we are all expected to do this young artist program track, mm-hmm. and it's flooded. And I think that that is changing. I think the post undergraduate career path is changing, and I think that the undergraduate schooling will will you know, change with that. Um, I can't, I mean, I, I know that at DePaul we learned, you know, etiquette of being on stage, how to dress, how to deal with your colleagues, how to address a, a director. That's so funny because those are the sorts of things I'm teaching in this opera workshop class is like all these little mm-hmm. tricks that never make it onto the stage. It's like everything that surrounds the stage to help my students try and just get that little leg up amongst all the competition. Yeah, the cream always rises and that's what we were always taught at DePaul. And, you know, maybe maybe your voice isn't as great as the girl next to you, but if you have the grace and if you are a good comrade – you will get the job. And I, I tend to agree with that a lot. And I'm glad. And that was something that was shared with me. And I'm glad it was shared with you as well. I um, And I didn't mean to earlier say, make it sound like I wasn't at all prepared to be a singer. I just, you know, there are certain things about being a singer that I wish I was taught. And I don't know, did you ever have a class? And <laughs> any of the singers listening are going to laugh at this. But did anybody ever teach you how to do your taxes? No, and that's what I'll say. When I got into the real world, I still got slapped in the face. Right. And that was only because I think I was coddled at DePaul and very much like got along with everybody there and every I th- things were certainly handed to me. Mm-hmm. And when I got into the real world, I realized, oh, that's not how it works. You right. have to hustle much harder than you did in undergrad, which is fine. But when I got there, I wish I would have had a class that was more like – how to manage your money as a singer, how to do your taxes without having a full-time job, being self-employed and doing your taxes. Those are the kinds of classes that we need nowadays. Right. You know, I think the real danger here, too, is that students get into the undergrad 
program, then they go to graduate school, then they go to the young artist program, then they go to the studio artist program, and they just continue to postpone that real-life experience, which they need, A, to promote their careers, and B, they need as artists, because what are artists, if nothing more than people who observe life going on around them and then try and put that into their own work on George, stage? George, I'm going to cut you off because I think that's the smartest thing you've ever said on this show. Uh, and I don't want you to screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do think you have a point, George. I mean, I think that the the undergraduate. The only thing I'll say that I really didn't appreciate was how pushed we were to go to graduate school, and how pushed you are to stay in academia. And I was really fortunate to have a teacher who kind of thought outside of the box mm-hmm. and really forced mm-hmm. me to do things differently. But there were a lot of students that studied with other teachers that are very much type A singers and and, and are square. And don't really think outside the box. I mean, this this is not just like I'm not going to name names, obviously, and it's not a bad thing or a good thing either way. No, we're talking in generalities yeah, here that I, I mean, think really, apply to and this all applies programs in, all, in this yeah, country. Yeah, not just to Paul. Like, this is things that I've noticed. These are things that I've noticed since I've graduated as well. And you know, the, um, uh, Curtis in Philadelphia and Juilliard in New York and San Francisco Conservatory. I mean, these these would all be the same sorts of p- things that uh, kids are wrestling with. Yeah. Right. Well, and I think something that I I think continuing in academia for so long as a singer does create is not necessarily being coddled because I think that uh, I don't know that everyone gets coddled. But I think on the students part, psychologically, it creates this. I have to have a teacher. Yeah, I have to be every week have to have someone help me. And I will tell you my greatest vocal growth, and I had wonderful voice teachers both in undergrad and graduate school and coaches, Um, but my greatest growth came when I left the academic world. And some of that could be maturity, but also some of it was, George, like you said, just being an artist and taking taking it upon myself to try and figure out how to use my own instrument in a way that felt good for me. And oh my gosh, it's been a year and a half or almost two years, I guess, since I finished uh, school and now I can, I feel like I can sing yeah. and I'm still not very good. And that's a process that'll continue to happen, but it can't happen when you're so rooted in having someone fix it for you. Absolutely. And I do wish that there were been, would have been more classes on how to market yourself, how to build your yeah. website, how to do nice recordings, you know, things like that. That's really stuff that was a learning curve when I actually graduated of how to how to put myself out there, how to get out there. Well, because so much of it is like the performing part of it is the fun part, right? And the work part of it is doing all the self-promotion yeah. and, you know, doing all the auditioning. As directors, we're not really able to audition in the same way that, that you singers are. But the promotion what, is... What do you do? You do... You go to I, Germany for three weeks or... Portfolio like, type thing? And we do, you know... No, interview. that's a serious question. Oh, it was? Yes. All right. I love you. Um, I mean, I you know, you we, we do meetings and we try and get people to see our shows and you know we have websites of course and we all we have is our ideas and how we articulate them and the question is are you going to be articulating those things in your own head or in front of the mirror or to your buddy at a bar are you going to be articulating them in front of somebody who actually can make a decision and employ you basically and it's the same for singers but again how do you learn on the fly. Well, and I, I don't think you can learn on the fly in graduate school. I, I think those two right. things are mutually exclusive. And, and this is the problem that a lot of these students, I think, will ultimately run into is that uh, 
they protect themselves because their coaches are saying it, as Giovanna mentioned, uh, because they're scared, because a young artist programmer's grad school is a comfortable place to be, and, and they're doing themselves a disservice when they could like be out there pounding the pavement and really you know trying to make it happen. Agreed. But even when you're out there pounding the pavement, the simple f- truth is that there are too many singers and there are not enough singing opportunities. I, I mean, it's just like sports. This whole show, is, as Tobias said, is based on this sports premise. Like, is it harder to become a professional sports player in one of the four major leagues or to become like an opera singer? I would say level? probably an opera singer. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So you just know, think about how hard it is to become like a major league baseball player and make and then realize it's harder to become a singer than that. Exactly. Yeah. And you know what? I will say to the listeners, if there are young people out there who are considering, you know, should I go to grad school? One thing I don't regret is the are the relationships and the friendships that did happen. And those are people that I'm going to, you know, love for the rest of my life. That being said, you didn't have to pay. I did. But it didn't make hundred. me a better singer to have those friends and it didn't, you know, or make those relationships, but I am so thankful and will forever be thankful that I did. So I don't regret going to grad school, but as you know, as far as preparation, meh. Well, if you're listening to the show, you get your chance to have your say as well. You can leave us a voicemail, 224-2189-BOX. That's 224-218-9269. Shoot us an email, operaboxscore at gmail.com. We're going to be right back to wrap this show up. Good call, bad call on Opera Box Score. Well, this is how we end every show, by finding something that has been fantastic from the past week in opera or something that's been utterly lousy. Uh, It's called Good Call, Bad Call. And who wants to go first? I'll go first. Uh, I work at a very prominent opera company, and I I work in the audience services department. So oftentimes I get to hear from happy patrons talking about things that they love about opera, something that's really been uh, chapping my rear Lately, is people calling musicals operas. <laughs> it's got to stop. This is my first opera. I'm coming to see my first opera. And I'm, I always just want to say, no, you're, you're coming to see a musical at an opera house. Because <laughs> I'm a pretentious a-hole, apparently. Giovanna. I actually agree with you, Toby. I'm going to have a little shout-out to my mother here on this good call, who is a Charleston na- – not native, but she lives in Charleston. And she is a huge fan of the Spoleto Festival. And she has been talking my ear off for the past couple months about – uh, the Porgy and Best production that is happening at Spoleto this summer, that is uh, the set design is by Jonathan Green, who is a renowned Gullah artist. So for Charleston, yeah. this is a huge thing of pride. And she has her tickets. My sister apparently has a ticket but doesn't really want to go. Okay. So I might fly down there and steal my sister's ticket. And I think it's going to be amazing. So yeah. everything's sold out, so you can't get it. But just so everyone knows. Well, if I could have a ticket, I would fly to uh, Minneapolis and see the new production of The Shining at Minnesota Opera. Of course, it's adapted from the Stephen King uh, short story, and there was the film with uh, Jack Nicholson. This time around, the music is by Paul Maravich and the libretto by Mark Campbell. It's directed by Eric Simonson. That's it for tonight's show. Our creative consultant for Opera Vox Score is indeed Oliver Camacho. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com. That's V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. For WNUR, our programming director is Vil Sholnay and the general manager is Maddie Higgins. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. 
You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Opera Box Score. Be sure to like our Facebook page. And if you know people who would enjoy our show, help us spread the word by sharing our posts. And you can always email us at operaboxscore@gmail.com. On our website, operaboxscore.squarespace.com, you can stream archived episodes and learn more about our team. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Hey, don't just listen to the podcast. Be a grown-up and leave a comment or a review. And be sure to listen to both parts of this double-header episode, including last week's interview with Matthew Polanzani. I'm George Cedarquist asking you to continue the conversation about opera, even if you have a raging sinus infection. <laughs> Street Beat is up next. You're listening to WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, Chicago's Sound Experiment.